You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. And today we have a really cool episode. Um, back in the day, and I want to say maybe whenever, right before the peak, right? Right before the peak of the outdoor personalities, right around that time, like right, I would say, at the pinnacle of the outdoor hunting, celebrity hunting um, television shows on the Sportsman and, and Outdoor Channel. There was a guy named Andy Ross, and Andy is the founder of Ross Archery. Andy is uh, uh, has had a tele- had a television show for about ten years. He's a musician. He's an author. Um, he 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 does it all. He's a bow hunter. He's an outdoorsman, and some of you new guys may not know him. But some of you older, I don't know, right around my age, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm early 40s. And so late 30s, early 40s, you probably know who this guy is. Uh, he's he's uh, a unique personality. He's a patriot. And uh, this is just the beginning 
of what I feel is an interesting life, an interesting uh, profile story that I'm about to lay down on you guys today. And, and really what is it, what it's about is a guy going out and doing what he wants and having a lot of fun doing it and finding success doing it. And, and kind of just, I mean, I don't know what necessarily this means, but going with the flow. He's, he's gone with the flow, and it's got him to where he's at today, man. And I think this is a really cool story. Um, he, he owns a company called American Rebel, and uh, it's, uh, it's uh, a patriotic-type product line and, and things like that. And so this, is just, this episode is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm definitely going to try to get Andy on again uh, to break down more about his archer his bow hunting adventures and his hunting adventures because there's definitely a lot of them out there uh but again awesome episode it's kind of a hunter profile podcast and i think you guys are going to enjoy it before we get into today's episode though we got to do the commercials right if you're looking for a saddle go check out tethered man uh the best in the business if you're looking for a saddle saddle hunting accessories climbing sticks uh, saddle hunting platforms. Tethered is the uh, the top of the pyramid when it comes to uh, saddle hunting. So go check that out. Uh, Wasp archery. A uh, uh, majority of their heads are made in America from some of the best materials possible, out of the best design possible. And so their broadheads, when they hit whatever they hit, they destroy whatever they hit. Even on marginal shots, they're their broadheads perform very well and uh, that's kind of I kind of think of Metallica like just destroying something uh, when when I think of wasp archery so uh, wasparchery.com I have a 20% discount code NFC20 it's going to get you 20% off wasparchery.com second hunts or next hunt stand dude it's it's that time of year actually I just got off the phone with Tony Peterson today and he had me on the Wired to Hunt podcast where we talked about planning for upcoming hunts. And I talk about hunt stand and, uh, you know, how you e-scout, what you're looking for and, and things like that. So, you know, later on, go give that a, uh, go give that a listen. I think it's, that's going to drop in mid-March. But this hunt stand, man, it is... The functionality is more than just e-scouting. You can, you know, organize your your trail camera pictures. You can journal in there. I mean, there's so much functionality. The best thing to do is go to HuntStand.com, read up on all the functionality, download it for free, play around with the free app for a little bit, and then upgrade to a very affordable um, program. And then on top of that, if you already have HuntStand and you want to upgrade to the Pro Whitetail platform, man, there's a ton more functionality uh, to be unlocked if you're a serious whitetail hunter. So HuntStand.com, go check it out. Last but not least, Vortex Optics. I mean, these guys are also the top of the pyramid when it comes to hunting optics and just like optics in the hunting space, period. I don't think anybody else does it better. The, the brand sells itself, the product sell itself, the people behind the product sell itself. And so when you add all those three up, you get uh, one hell of a company with one hell of a product line. So if you're looking for binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, red dots, range finders, and so on, go check out vortexoptics.com. Check out their VIP warranty. It's badass. You break it, bust it, buy it, poop it out, put it in a box, 
they will fix it and then send it back to you. And then also they have a brand new, one of their newest products that I'm really excited to use this year on some of my uh, out-of-state hunts is their new uh, tripod. And so I, I bought a really cheap tripod years ago on uh, on Amazon. It, I just typed in the lightest weight one. I bought it, and it does its job okay, but the sand was getting into it, and it starts to break down a little bit, and every year it's just not working like I want it to. This new one from Vortex is straight up badass, so vortexoptics.com to go check it out. We are done with the commercials, and I'm, I'm telling you, man, this this dude's a character. I love I loved recording this podcast, and uh, there's a lot of questions that I asked him in this episode that no one else has ever asked him, which is bizarre. So, uh, Andy Ross, Hunter Profile, here we go. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Andy Ross. Andy, how we doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Happy to be here. Awesome. All right. So, like, I, I remember going, oh, this was a long time ago because I've been to 13 ATA shows throughout the years. And I remember actually meeting you a handful of times through one of my buddies, uh, Todd Prignitz, who was also, uh, he he's, has since passed away, but uh, meeting you through him. And I, I said, I said to myself, I go, dude, that dude, it, like, just if you were to judge a book by its cover, that dude loves America and he loves hunting. And so, uh, if if you were a book, that's how I would judge you. Is that accurate? <laughs> I love it. Perfect. Good deal. Sign Good. me up. Yep. So, um, and today I, I kind of want to do a little bit of a hunter profile on you and talk a little bit about. Um, just talk a little bit about where you were born and, and the, the whole timeline of Andy Ross. Okay, that sounds great, man. And I, uh, I'm i in the outdoors right now in the woods, so if you hear a little wind blowing in the background, I apologize for that. But uh, this is an outdoor podcast, and I thought I should be in the outdoors to do it. So there you here go. we are. There you go. All right, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to go right to the beginning. I want to go as far back as we can uh, remember here. Where, where were you born? Where did you live? I was born in a small town called Chanute, Kansas, down in the southeast corner of Kansas. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a small town. Uh, seemed like me and, you know, everybody I knew, all my friends, you know, hunted. And uh, back then we had a good quail population in, in southeast Kansas. So our, uh, you know, when I was go when I was in high school, our, you know, our hunting was, was mainly shotgun, shotguns and upland bird hunting, duck hunting, quail hunting, turkey hunting. And, uh, you know, we went to one of those, it was small town and uh, small town school. So we, we'd get up early before school and go duck hunting and, you know, get to, get to school 15 minutes late, stripping off our camo, running in the door with our shotguns <laughs> hanging in the back window of our pickup trucks. Right. And nobody cared. And, uh, you know, we had one of them principals. He'd be like, guys, you need to pick it up tomorrow. Get in, you know, you get to school on time. Hey, by the way, how'd you do? You know? <laughs> so, so he would always give us a get out of jail free card, you know, during hunting season. If we came in 10, 15 minutes late, he knew we were learning more out there duck hunting and in the woods than we were going to learn in class anyway. So he was cool. Mr. Dillman. How, how far are you from Emporia? In Chanute, uh, would be, uh, it would take me 
probably an hour and ten minutes okay. north to get to Emporia. Okay, so you're you're way southeast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, about 35, 40 minutes from the, uh, you know, from the Oklahoma line. Yeah. So my uncle, he lives down there in Americus, and he he came from Iowa, moved down there for a job. And he, I don't know, he just got lucky or something, but he's got access to some crazy uh, farms. And ever since he started uh, knocking on doors to get permission down there, he has ran into some giant deer down in that area. This oh, year. there's great deer hunting down there in the southeast corner. You know, it's it's just about a half hour, you know, also it's just, uh, you know, half hour over, maybe even less over to Missouri too. So yeah. you're kind of in that southeast corner. And uh, there's great deer hunting down there. Uh, right along the uh, Neosho River. Okay. Um, I've had the opportunity to hunt kind of riverside there. For some reason, there's just some really nice big bucks in there. But yeah. a lot of the land I used to, and people I knew down there, of course, that was many years ago. I, I moved uh, up to Kansas City when I was 17. And then, uh, you know, I moved to Nashville about 14, 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, quick question. Do you come then from a a hunting family? Like, did you, your brothers or sisters or uncles, all all outdoorsmen? Uh, no, no. I uh, I learned to hunt. I had some friends. You know, my friends growing up all hunted. Um, when I was young, my parents were divorced. My dad lived in Colorado. My brother uh, lived with my dad. Um, so uh, you know, I just kind of learned it from from my friends and. Uh, a uh, little interesting story. I'm sure we're probably going to get to it. How I went from, uh, uh, you know, shotgun hunting and upland bird hunting to, to archery. But, yep. uh, yeah, it was, uh, I just, all my friends hunted. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, something you thought about getting into everybody, everybody did it. You know, it yeah. was, it was, uh, um, I don't, I don't have one friend down there that, you know, didn't hunt in high school and still hunts today. Yeah. And so, you started off your your hunting career though with firearms, right? Uh, yeah, shotguns. Oh, shotguns. Okay, all right. So shotguns. Yeah. Uh, all and, upland bird, turkey, pheasant, quail. Gotcha. Uh, did you yeah. did you when about did you start doing the the whitetail thing? So, how I got into archery, and you know what's funny is I've never told this story. You would you would think with doing the TV show for ten years and. And, uh, you know, all we did there in bow hunting that someone would have asked me this, but yep. no one ever has. Um, when I was 13, maybe 12, almost 13, I got sent to military school because <laughs> I got in some trouble. And I had, to, I did two, like two school years in military school, but I couldn't come home in between the school years. So I had to go to the military school camp for the summer. Okay. Cause I, I went to Wentworth military Academy in Lexington, Missouri and the summer camp really, you know, and I mean, I would have rather been home with my friends. I mean, I was 13 years old, you know, what teenager doesn't want to be home with his friends, but the summer camp, you know, looking back, I really learned a lot. And that's where I learned archery was at the military school. Okay. Uh, the summer camp I learned, um, they taught us archery. They taught us shooting, uh, first you know first time i'd probably ever shot a rifle i only like i said i had shotguns when i was young um and in high school and so on but that was my first exposure to a rifle archery they, they taught us how to tie knots they taught us how to canoe you know bowman midshipman sturman um so that's really where i fell in love with archery and it never really dawned on me because at military school 
when they taught us archery, they didn't teach us hunting. They taught us, you know, we were target shooting. Yeah. So I was target shooting and loved target shooting, but it never dawned on me, hey, I could take this in the woods and go hunting. It was like my shotguns for hunting, but I yeah. like to go out and target shoot. So, uh, you know, it, it was a lot later in life when I, uh, you know, picked up, decided to go out and uh, really pretty much be exclusively a bow hunter. Yeah. So military, military school and military camp almost sounded like, it sounded like Boy Scout camp for bad kids. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> We, we picked up streets and cleaned graveyards and, and did all that stuff. And, and, you know, we had to do a lot of that stuff. It was not, uh, uh, it's, it's probably though, I always, I always, you know, I, I tell this part of the story, you know, looking back, if I look back at all my younger years and grade school years and middle school years and all that stuff, the, the, the ones that stand out are those two. Like I learned a lot there, you yeah. know? And I've learned a lot about discipline and it was, it was really good for me. Yeah. And I'm not sitting here recommending all you uh, parents send your kids to military school. <laughs> although some of them could use it. I'm yeah. telling you, yeah. I saw some, I saw some in the convenience store yesterday that they need to get their little butts to military school. I'm telling <laughs> you. But uh, it was good for me. Yeah, it really was. So you came, you came out a different person. De- de- definitely had a little, uh, learned a lot about respect, respect for the land. Um, you know, I, I became the kid that uh, that when we hunted on a farmer's land, you know, not only did I pick up my shotgun shells, but any shotgun shells anyone else would leave left behind and tell my friends, hey, pick that up. You know, yeah. uh, don't drop that wrap. You know, I became that guy. Yeah. So that yeah, was good for me. That's good. That's good. OK, so this is where the seed, the seed for archery was planted in military school. Did that, did that transfer over immediately once you got out of military school into the outdoors for archery seasons? No, I, I met a girl and, uh, this was later in life, like, like early thirties. And, uh, all her parents did was bow hunt. Yeah. They were just bow hunting crazy out of Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, I still hadn't taken my bow into the woods and, I was shooting, you know, I was shooting longbows and recurves and that kind of thing too. Um, you know, in military school, we weren't shooting compounds. We were shooting stick bows. Yep. And, uh, so they were all about it and, uh, they, uh, wanted, they were going on a hog hunt or something and they in, in, invited us to go. We were hanging out up there in Wisconsin for a couple of weeks. And, uh, I ran to an archery store in, uh, can't think of the little town in wisconsin but i know the store was called Dutchess. okay and uh i bought my first compound bow and it didn't take me no time to you know figure it out i'd been yeah. shooting for a long time and uh that's when i got my first real bow and bow case and quiver and arrows and rests and sights and you know put it all together and and uh i was shooting you know, I was shooting pretty good right out of the gate. Gotcha. So there's a, there's a big period of time that went by from military school to purchasing your first compound bow. Um, yeah. Let me ask you in between those, that time, what were you doing? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a loaded question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We were, you know, I was, uh, working and and uh you know obviously still still doing some upland hunting and i'd moved to kansas city so you know i wasn't hunting nearly as much down there in in, in chanute growing up you know if i didn't have land my friends had land and our uncles had land I and mean, everybody had land 
but I'd moved up to Kansas City, um, kind of started playing music, um, you know, just just being a young man and trying to, you know, get my my business life and personal life, uh, my adult life off the ground. Yeah. But hunting definitely through my, uh, you know, through my when I moved to Kansas City, um, I had a different group of friends. Yeah. You know. And, and my, my hunting friends, small town friends, uh, you know, we're back in Chanute and, uh, you know, we were, we were hanging out and going to one block West, which was a, a, a really cool rock bar with live music and, uh, and started playing guitar and, uh, you know, focus just changed a little bit. And then as I got back, you know, when I turned about 28, 30, um, started missing the, uh, the outdoors and got back into it. Yeah. And so with a bow, with a bow. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's kind of crazy to see this, the piece of the Andy Ross puzzle slowly start to, uh, be put together, so to speak, because, you know, you had the foundation for the outdoors in Southeast, you know, in the Southeast, uh, Kansas, move up to Kansas city. And it sounds like that's where the musical side of you started to blossom. It did. It definitely did. I mean, I had friends that played in bands and, and, uh, you know, I was, I was promote, I was promoting bands and, uh, booking shows and playing my, you know, playing guitar myself. And that's kind of where all that definitely started. All right. In fact, I was at a concert when I met, uh, uh, the girl who, who was, uh, my wife for a good long period of time. And, uh, one of the most amazing people in the world, if you don't know her, her Angie is her name. Um, I was at a, I was at a Brooks and Dunn concert in Orlando, Florida when we met. And she was from Wisconsin, and that's who's, you know, eventually we went back to visit her folks, and that's when I got back into archery. Gotcha. Okay. And so what is easier to learn, shooting a bow or playing guitar? Um, well, let me say this. I've, I've never been asked that. I'll, I'll think that through, too. But let me say this. Learning to shoot a bow is fairly easy. Yeah. Learning to hunt is a completely different story. There you go. Um, it's a completely different deal. I mean, you can take, you know, somebody with a little bit of, uh, you know, desire and a good attitude, you can take them out in the yard and you can get them shooting a bow, you know, pretty good by dark. Yeah. And you can get them hitting the target. Um, but the, the amount of time and experience it takes, if we're just talking whitetail hunting, uh, you know, I did, a, I got really into all the spot and stock stuff, but if we're just talking whitetail, you know, it takes hunting season after hunting season yeah. after hunting season to, to, you know, first of all, to get one close enough to you, to know when to draw and pull back and, to, you know, to, to judge how amped up the, you know, the doe or buck is and, you know, whether, you know, just what you can get away with and what you can't, which is you know, as you know, is next to nothing yeah. that you can get away with. Um, you know, and, and you think about how long you have to learn that, you know, I can, I can work on guitar every day of the year, but you've only got so many weeks to really practice deer hunting because you've only got so much season right. and you can't duplicate, you can't duplicate it. You know, yeah. you can't duplicate it in your yard. You can shoot targets all day long, but you can't duplicate the skills and the and the intuitiveness that that it takes to get near something like a deer or something like an elk or a mule deer or a grizzly bear or a brown bear or a mountain goat 
you know, caribou, all the stuff we did. Um, you've only got a small window a year to learn that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can read it and watch DVDs and listen to tips and all that stuff. But, um, so hunting, you know, I would say shooting a bow is far easier than learning to play guitar. Um, getting really good at being a hunter and an outdoorsman is as hard or harder than, you know, being able to play a guitar. Yeah. Now if we're talking about variety of things here. If we're talking about, you know, Eddie Van Halen, good playing guitar, <laughs> uh, you know, that's a different story. If you're talking about Andy Ross, that knows about seven chords on a good day. Um, you know, we can get you there pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. I, there's a, there's a scene in a movie where, uh, the guy goes, I want to play a guitar. And he goes, why? Cause I want to get the girls. He goes, okay. And then he teaches him, he teaches him three chords and he goes, you play these three chords in different, you know, in different orders. Then you got three different songs or I don't know, but he was like, then you can get the girls. Yep. D C and G ever get it done. Yep. 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 All right. So you, you pick up, you pick up a bow and you start bow hunting again in your, your early thirties. How long did that take from that point? until you said i want to i want to jump into the archery game into the bow manufacturing game uh i don't know i probably i probably uh it was probably six eight years later okay you know i was approaching probably 40 at the time when i uh when i started making bows okay and what sparked you wanting to start making bows? Was it, was it more or less of, Hey, I love this as a passion or did you see a business opportunity? Uh, probably more passion morphed into business opportunity. And you know, you're asking me some good stuff. I I don't know why no one's, I mean, I've never talked about this stuff before, but when I started making bows, I really didn't start making bows. Yeah. What I started making um, digital cameras had come out Yep. and they, and, and they had these little SD cards that went in them and this SD card would hold 300 pictures. Yep. Okay. Well, video is 30 pictures taken in one second. Good video. Yeah. So if you have 30 pictures, boom, 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 boom. In a second, it looks seamless. And that's what video is. Yep. So if you could take 300 pictures on this card, then you could shoot 10 seconds of video. There was no digital digital video recorder out right. at this moment. Right. But I could shoot, you could shoot 10 seconds of video if you could get the camera to take the 300 pictures in 10 seconds. Yeah. So I made that. And what I wanted was to put that on my bow and I wanted to, record the flight and strike of my arrow. Okay. Okay. So I actually made that thing, but what I couldn't do is get the vibe. It would work, but the, the video was so bad from the violentness. You don't really realize how violent a bow is when it goes off and how it vibrates and shakes and, and you know what all it does. So the video, by the time the video would clear up, the 10 seconds, you know, the, the arrow had already kind of reached its its destination, yep. whether that be a deer or a, or a target. 
So I was trying to make this digital video camera before there was a digital video camera. And um, so I got a hold of Sims Vibration Laboratories out in, uh, I think they're either in Washington State. Yeah, I think they're in Washington State. Um, you know, they made the lipstick. Okay. Yep. Sims Vibration Laboratories. Yep. Uh, yep. And the guys out there, I got a hold of them and said, can, can you help me design a mount? It'll get rid of some of this vibration. And they did clean it up quite a bit, but it never, it, it's, it wasn't going to be a product. It was close to being a product, but it wasn't going to be a product because it just wouldn't, it just couldn't get it cleaned up enough. So in the process of that, two businesses launched. Um, those SD cards started becoming like one gigs and four gigs. And yep. now you could get like 30 minutes of video. And I took that circuit and put it in a flashlight. I invented the digital video flashlight and I sold it to law enforcement. They could search the trunk of a car, take testimony from a witness, investigate a crime scene, run in a house on a domestic violence call. And so we had the digital video flashlight that became, that originally was, a, was the first bow camera that okay. I tried to make. And so that became a, a business called Digital Ally. And we made those those uh, flashlights and the company's still in business today. We made them for law enforcement. Then at the same time, I learned how bows, bows vibrate because we were studying this to try to clean up the camera. Okay. And I thought, well, heck, I could get rid of, if, if people would just make a, do this and this and this to the bow, it wouldn't vibrate so bad and my camera would work better. Well, I just decided to make the bow. And so we made the bow and uh, so, so digital ally started and then uh, Ross archery started, which really was going to be just a hobby. It wasn't, I had no idea it would, it would take off like it did. Yeah. And that's crazy. Uh, Cause uh, I also host another podcast called the hunting gear podcast. And it's amazing what happens when someone who let's just, for example, talk about what you, you did. You have this passion you like, you like bow hunting and you say, well, yeah. I'm just going to mess around with this. I'm going to start a company and then boom, something happens because you've solved a problem that everybody else wants. Every other bow hunter or archery, you know, not yeah. solved. So, and I, and I thought, you know, if I could make some bows and sell some bows, I had no idea what I was getting into. Mm -hmm. I'd never even been to an ATA show, let alone, I mean, the first ATA show I went to, I had a booth. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I didn't know what ATA was. Yeah. Um, but I thought, well, if I can make some bows and sell some of these bows and then I can maybe write off some of my hunting and, and, you know, I just, it, I don't know. It didn't seem like that big a deal at the time, Yeah. but it became a big deal. Yeah. And so when you said, Hey, I want to make a bow that has less vibration in it. Like, how did you go about trying to solve that problem? Well, it, it, it had to do with the, the shape of the riser and, you know, everybody was going, we went to, to some pretty hard parallel limbs pretty early. Um, you know, speed at that time. And I don't know, maybe they, maybe they still are. I'm still shooting the same bow I've had for a long time, but, and, and not really, uh, although, uh, rumor has it, you might see some hunting products out of us here in the near future, but, um, as it relates to archery, gotcha. but, uh, you know, everybody was chasing speed at that time. Yep. And, you know, speed is the, is, is the enemy of accuracy. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, they were, they were getting speed by shortening the brace site 
so you know i mean like so they were getting down to like six and a half inches and you know it would go fast but it would it was more violent and it uh uh it, it took away some smoothness and stuff and we just we just figured out a good way to do it and i had a lot of help um we had a, we had some engineers that were trying to help help me and uh you know uh doug hutchins was was helping me my main man mike um you know, that's an interesting story. Mike Osborne, I don't know if you know him. I called him my main man, Mike, on the TV show, the, you know, Maximum Archery. Yep. And uh, he had done some filming for the Drury Brothers. And when I wanted to go, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm kind of morphing into the story of how the, how the TV show came about, if that's all right. Yeah. So I wanted, I wanted someone on TV to shoot my bow. Yeah. Um, you know. And Ralph and Vicky were really hot, and Lee and Tiffany were really coming on, and and uh, Waddell was still with the Real Tree guys. He was like two years later, he broke off into his own show and uh, did his own thing. And but you know that's where we were. These shows were really coming on, coming yeah. on. Uh, right before the peak. On, yeah, it was it was before the peak, right before it. Yeah. And uh, so I I tried to get Drury, someone to shoot my bows, Primos, man, the Primos guys man that was great um i tried to get someone to shoot my bow and i couldn't do it because one it was a new bow and two they already had contracts with matthews hoyt and bowtech and they weren't going to start shooting my bow over the brand names that they you know that they knew and were being sponsored by and i didn't even realize how all that worked right yeah we you know we're we're got a four-year deal with uh hoyt oh okay i didn't you know i didn't know so Mike Osborne had filmed some part-time hunts for uh, the Drury Brothers, and I met him and said, would you come with me and film, you know, four or five hunts with me? And he said he would, and uh, we went on four successful hunts, took the footage, made a DVD, and put it in the box with the bows. And then when we would do trade shows, we'd give this DVD away because everybody wanted to see the bow on TV. This is how I could put the bow on TV, but... They had to do it with the DVD. Had no idea that six, seven months later, I'd get a call and uh, from the network asking me if I wanted to, to do my own TV show. Oh, wow. Wow. And so really those, those two things are intertwined because you have the product, you, you're trying to promote yeah. it, and you said, well, why don't I just promote it myself? That's all we, all we could do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I know how the industry works, right? I mean, unless you're – unless you're willing to pay buku bucks to try to get some of these big names, you know, to fill that, that slot. I mean, it sounds like you just took care of the problem yourself. Yeah, it was, you know, it was when they called and asked us if we wanted to do our own show, you know, we did it for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and uh, in hindsight, now that I, I'm far enough removed from it that I can look back, I probably shouldn't have done the show. Okay. Um, what I probably should have done was sponsor some people who had shows. And then if I wanted to be on TV, say, I'll sponsor you, but I'm going to go on two hunts a year with you and I'll sponsor you, but I'm going to go on two hunts with you and, you know, and have a handful of people that we sponsored because once I had my own show and I was the bow manufacturer, everybody else, all, I mean, all the TV personality people were very friendly to me and I made some great friends. I'm not saying that, Yeah. but I couldn't go hunting with them because Waddell, like I never went on a hunt with Michael Waddell because his sponsors and his bow sponsor aren't going to let Andy Ross of Ross Archery 
they don't want me on his show. Yeah, makes sense. You know? So, and I would say, well, we'll film it on my show. Well, so-and-so sponsors don't really want them on my show because why are you hunting with, with Andy Ross of Ross Archery when we're paying you to shoot PSE, yeah. so to speak. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So it, it, on one hand, uh, I made a lot of friends, but I was kind of isolated from the good old boys club of being able to, when you see those guys out hunting together and doing things or doing meet and greets together and, yep. and so on, we were kind of our own, you know, it was like being a one man band. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So at, like how long after you started Ross archery and started making the bows, did it take for Ross archery to get a, a get its own foothold in the archery industry not as long as you would think um i would say within a year we were we were making some big bold moves and within a couple of years you know everybody talked everybody talked about the big four you know they would they would mention ross it was like uh Botech, Hoyt, matthews and ross yeah you know just part of a we you know in the archery world we were we were right there and people ask me, they say, well, how did you know, you know, the market needed a new bow? Well, I, I didn't, number one. Yeah. Um, uh, but what I did know from branding, um, and somehow I've just, I've been blessed to just have a mind that, that does well for branding. I'm, I started so many things that people picked up on and used in the, in the industry. For instance, um, I made the comment. I said, the market don't need a new bow. The kids need a new sticker for their truck. Yeah. Because when something is so popular like Matthews and everybody puts the sticker in their truck because it's cool, but once everybody has one, then it's not cool no more. And they're looking for the new thing to, yeah. to put on their truck. Yeah. And and I say that half jokingly, but it's, it's half true. So I came up, I went to the first ATA show and I tried to get Bruce Udava from Hudalvin Associates, great, great man, great company, great, just great outdoorsman to, to, uh, to market my bow or to, to rep my bow. And I showed him this brochure and I said, what do you think of this? It wasn't the one we were handing out. It was, it was, and we were only just a few, you know, six, eight months into the thing. And I showed him this brochure and it said, own more bone with Ross Archery. And it had these big elk antlers. And he looked at me and he said, mm, you can't say that. And I said, what? And he said, bone. He said, you can't say that. And I said, because you think it's silly or you just think it's uh, just a little over the top kind of hardcore or something, you know, he goes, no, it's cool, but you can't say that. And I knew right then that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> we had a, I'm like, as long as he didn't think it was goofy, yeah. you know? So we started that whole bone thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we own more bone with Ross Archery. We had our, our, our online store had boneware, which was all of our shirts and hats and stuff. I mean, we were own more bone with Ross Archery and boneware long before Waddell decided to do bone collector. Yeah. I mean, the whole industry started calling antlers bone. Yeah. You know, and uh, pick and stick and a lot of these things we would say and do on the show. And, you know, then you see some rest company, you got to, you know, pick it before you stick it. And, you know, yeah. it's like they're taking. So, so we did, a, we started a lot of those catchphrases and, uh, and those things. So we, you know, 
I think it was the marketing, the own more bone with Ross Archery because people wanted that sticker in their truck. We had really cool shirts and hats and and stuff. I mean, the people just gravitated to it. And yeah. and and the most important thing, we made a really great bow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can't put that on bubble gum and get away with it. I mean, we made a really great bow, but we 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 marketed the hell out of that thing. That's awesome. And it, and it took off. Yeah. And so when you have when you have that, right? You have this awesome promotion and then you also have the meat and potatoes to back it up. You have you have momentum going into whatever it is you're trying to do. Yeah, we had momentum going in. We had our own more bone with Ross Archery and the Elk Antler hats, and we'd give those hats away at like ATA or whatever. And I mean, you couldn't look down an aisle and, and not see people wearing the hats. I mean, even you know, I, I'd been I'd been doing it. I had my TV show for about a half a season when the first uh, uh, when I had my first big ATA show, which was our second ATA show, but the first time we were somebody. Yeah. And I remember like Block came over and Block Targets came over and put me in a. Uh, you know, they used to, they used to do that deal with, you know, everybody from, uh, uh, oh gosh, a- anybody who shot on TV was in those block target ads, Yeah, you know, Lee and Tiffany and Chuck Adams and, and, uh, you know, all those, all those guys, Roger Raglan. Yep. Remember all those names? Oh yeah. And uh, I thought I'm standing here like Will Primos and I'm standing <laughs> in a group, of all these people like, huh? <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. Right, right. And so now you start to get the, you know, the momentum in the in the archery industry. Where where are you at at this time frame? Cuz you got a couple successful businesses at this point. Where are you setting musically at this point? So, the music uh is a, is a is a great story um of how I got here first of all. Um this whole this whole thing, if you you know, when you replay this and you listen to this, you're going to say, well, he didn't really mean to have the bow company be what it was. Well, he didn't really mean to have a TV show. Yeah. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Well, year the the show was called Maximum Archery, and about year four, year five of this ten year run that I had with it, I told my cameraman, my main man, Mike. I said, Mike. Have you seen these X Games? These X Games, man, the things these kids are doing with skateboards and bicycles and motocross and snowmobiles and and these video games they have today, man, these video games are really getting cool. I said, who's going to, what kid's going to want to watch me, you know, sitting in a tree going, hey, it's Tuesday. (laughs) We're in Kansas. You know, I'm like, this stuff's boring compared to the to the rush they have on that other stuff. I said, we got to step this thing up. Yeah. So we changed the name from Maximum Archery to Maximum Archery World Tour. And I took the dates, the species, and the location, the town, city, state, country, whatever that I was hunting, and I put them all in a straight line down the back of, a, of our T-shirts like a Van Halen concert shirt. Tour shirt. Sold yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, like a tour shirt. And we changed it to Maximum Archery World Tour, and we treated it like like we were on tour, but we were on a making a TV show hunt date tour, not a concert tour. Right. But we treated it like a tour. And I'll never forget we were at this, uh, and I am I'm getting to the music. Um, we were at this, uh, 
it was in Colorado. It was one of these old kind of like gold mining old towns, but they had, you know, they'd kept it true to the era and they had these little saloons and bars and shops and stuff. Yep. And we're going down, we're going down the road and I see this sign. It says honey blonde on tap at this bar, this gold mining saloony old school looking bar. And, uh, I, I said, turn around, I said, turn the camera on. So Mike turned the camera on and I said, look, honey blonde on tap. You don't pass that up. Yeah. We're going in. So we go in, we're playing darts and then, you know, we'd had a few, so we didn't want to, you know, obviously we weren't going to travel much from there. So we decided, well, there's a laundry mat down the way. Why don't we go throw some laundry in the, in the laundry mat? We'll come back here while it's, you know, washing and have some more beers and play dart. You know, we're filming all this stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden the travel became the show. The three segments that were hunting and maximum archery became two segments of almost getting in trouble and the travel and the camaraderie and the yep. craziness. Yep. And one segment was hunting and that took off. The kids loved the behind the scenes, the making of the travel, you know, me and Mike getting in arguments. I mean, me and Mike were together so much we'd get to an airport and go separate ways. I'd usually go to the bar. He'd go find a snow globe for his daughter and then, like, we wouldn't even sit on the plane together, you know, because we, I mean, we traveled seven months a year for 10 years. And, you know, all this stuff's been, anyway, so how we got to music. I had that going on, and I thought, well, I can play a little. We're, you, we're buying all this, you know, lame music off the Internet for the opener, uh, in and out of commercials, for when the credits roll, you know. Why don't we just make some songs? You know, why don't I just write some songs? for the show yeah that's all i was trying to do i wrote gotta go hunting blues hunt me down buck of a lifetime blood trail on a white tail support your local wildlife i did these hunting songs and uh i didn't know but a lot of the country music artists actually watched my show because they're hunters a yeah. lot of the guys right like i didn't have to go try to meet blake shelton blake shelton wanted to meet me he, wa he watched the show yeah um, so I'm in a, I'm in Nashville and I'm in this bar and I run into these this band great friends of mine called the Davison Brothers and the Davison Brothers band uh, they said hey we dig some of that music you're doing on the show how about we write one you want to write one I said, okay never done that before um, so they actually that's a whole long story we ain't got time for it but we parted ways about three in the morning and twenty tequila shots later and. Uh, <laughs> I met up with them the next day and we wrote a song called Necky Red. It's off my You Ain't Seen Crazy Yet record. And uh, so we write this song and they say, look, our producer's Doug Growl. He produced and recorded and managed Travis Tritt in Little Texas, Jeff Foxworthy and produced the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. He's our producer. Why don't we, why don't we have him get you in the studio to record the song we wrote? And I said, well, I don't know why he would want to do that. I mean, I'm, you know, okay, would he do it? They said, yeah, he'll, we wrote it with you, so he's a great guy, and, and uh, he'll, he'll, he'll do it. we asked him to. So I recorded Necky Red with Doug Growl. About two months later, uh, using this great producer, I'm at the Iowa Deer Classic. There's a line pretty far down the way. I'm signing posters and DVDs from the, you know, from the TV show, from the popularity of the TV show. These smartphones come out, 
and iTunes comes out. This stuff starts happening, and these kids are in line way down the way, and they've got a smartphone playing and my songs on it. And they finally, you know, as they got closer and closer and closer to me, I said, how did you get my song on your phone? And they thought I was mad, and I wasn't mad. I was, I was flattered. I was, I was yeah. thrilled. And uh, they said, well, we went to iTunes, and we couldn't uh, find it. So we took it off your website. I said, okay. So when I got a break, I called Doug Grau, the producer. And I said, hey, these I think these people that watch my show would buy this music if I could get it onto iTunes. Can we get some of my songs over to this iTunes? And he said, well, Andy, if they'll buy what you've done today, um, they'll buy, they'll buy, you know, they'll buy your music. He said, why don't you come back to Nashville and let's make a record? boy that, that's how that happened man that's crazy that's nuts, and, and we're re- yeah and we're now recording the fourth record called lucky to be alive um we did you ain't seen crazy yet followed by cold dead hand followed by time to fight um had songs put me on counting cars with danny on the history channel where he built me the second amendment muscle car we've played gigs as big as uh the nra night race at bristol motor speedway freedom festivals armed forces day bike rallies bullet county bike fest um you know we, we play several dates a year tour in the spring and summer um and you know i write it all or co-write you know yep. i get to write with a lot of cool writers but i'm a, a writer or co-writer on everything i've put out and um it's just been an amazing blessing honestly it just it came from nowhere and uh you know i always tell people like i know what i am and what i'm not as a musician and i know where my lane is and i stay in my lane i'm not a top 40 country artist i'll never win the voice i'm not so sure i'd make the audition (laughs) (laughs) i'm telling you i'm just being honest yeah but what i do do what I can do is write, record, and play live Andy Ross music better than anybody. There you go. And that's that's all I do. There you go. So as the music starts to pick up, and it sounds to me like this locomotive that is and or that is Ross Archery is going, like how are you balancing all of this? So I had I had made a deal with the bow company with Bowtech. Okay. Back when John Strauss signed and and. Uh, and the Strassheim family owned it, and, and uh, the Tiller boys, and and a uh, great, great group of men. Great, great men. A lot of fun. Good, good Christian family that really. Uh, I t- I'll tell you what. I, uh, you know, I, I always say this, and I got I get in trouble for it once in a while, but uh, you know, I don't care how late you stay out on Saturday night giving life the finger. It's still a good idea to get up and go to church on Sunday. Yep. And uh, I do both. So. Uh, um, but, but Tiller's just, just a great family. I learned a lot from, and, uh, and, and the Strassheim family, I learned a lot from them. Um, they ended up selling the company to Savage Arms and Savage Arms had other plans and, uh, you know, what happened to it from there? I don't, I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, we were, we had the show. Um, it was like the show and the music and the bow company. You know, the, the bow company went out to Bowtech. Um, I continued to do the show along with the music for another four or five years, a total of 10 years. And then I had to make the decision, do I want to play more music and stop doing the show? 
And the other thing that was happening was, was my main man, Mike, Mike Osborne, his daughters, his two daughters were getting to an age where he's like, man, I'm really missing a lot, Andy. This is, this travel's getting, getting tough on me personally. Yeah. I feel that. And I could, yeah. And I, and I couldn't imagine doing the show really without him. Um, so, um, I needed to make a decision anyway, because I was, I was getting to play a lot of music and, 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 uh, I'll never forget, I walked in Pie Town, Mexico, I was on an elk hunt, and when you go to a little cafe on an elk hunt, it's full of hunters that are out there also on elk hunts, yep. in, in Little Pie Town, as was the name, and uh, normally, somebody, hey, Ross, where's your bow, hey, you know, what do you have, what's going on, you know, yeah. I walked in, I walked in the door, and someone yelled, hey, Andy, where's your guitar, and I thought, well, isn't that interesting, yeah. that somebody you know, like that started to take a life of its own. So the long and short of it is I had to, uh, I had to make that decision and I determined that at concerts, the girls are prettier than they are most of the time in hunting camp. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, uh, so, (laughs) so, uh, you know, I just took advantage of, uh, the next blessing and opportunity I had in front of me. So here's, the beer seems to be colder and the girls are prettier. So there you go. How's that? Hey, that's a win-win if you ask me. Um, yeah. And so where does American, your your next uh, company come into a play, American Rebel? The story continues. Yeah. Um, I had a, uh, on the Cold Dead Hand record, I had a song out called Cold Dead Hand that Danny, uh, the Count Coker from Counting Cars, uh, took a liking to, and he had me on the show and built me the second amendment muscle car. And when he built me the second amendment muscle car and put me on counting cars on a, sh- and he called me country, country rocker, Andy Ross, the show was called rock and loaded. I mean, that exposure and that thing still airs. It's still, it's, you know, it's in their, their top 10 builds their top 10 paint jobs, their top 10 episodes. It's in all their marathons, you know, that they run on counting cars. That thing airs all the time. And uh, I always know when it airs because, like, you know, once every two or three months, my, you know, my phone will blow up. They just saw you on counting cars. Uh, still to this day. So um, the next album that came out was called Time to Fight. And I had a song on it called American Rebel. And by now, things had moved from records, well, CDs, from iTunes, which we made money on iTunes. Yeah. But now all the streaming's coming and all the legal file sharing's coming. And there wasn't the, even though by far many, many, many more times people were hearing my music, the revenue was less from it because most people weren't paying for it. So Doug Growl said, Andy, you know, you've made a lot of products and put stuff out. You know how to design stuff, get stuff built market why don't we monetize this music you do with with a brand put some products out the song that was out off the time to fight record was called american rebel it was going viral as a patriotic anthem we had no decision to make we'll call the company american rebel the song's the mission statement for the company we put out some concealed carry products coats backpacks jackets we got into safes specifically gun safes 
Uh, we have a 2A liquid fire product now. We have electric bike we just introduced. We have 2A lockers. We've got some other stuff we're working, and you may see me back in archery. Um, but as of February, a year ago, because it's February now in 23, but as of February in 22, we're now a publicly traded company on NASDAQ. Oh, wow. So I'm playing music and uh, the CEO of a, of a publicly traded company. And we're doing really well with American Rebel. And uh, Doug Grau, the producer I told you about, yep. he beca- he's the president of American Rebel. Um, he, he did all my records. And then when we turned it to a brand, he was you know a co-founder. And I was CEO and he was president. Um, and we worked together. And you know I talked to Doug 10 times a day and you know see him at the office all the time. And, and uh, he lives in Nashville along with me. And we're working on uh, the, uh, the uh, Lucky to be Alive album right now. Oh, so you got so you got more music coming out. Absolutely, gotcha. Just we the, the way they do music now. You used to complete an album of music, whether it was a physical album, CD, or whatever. Yep. Uh, digital release. You would do the album of music, which 10, 12, 13, 14 songs. Then you would take a single off that album of music and release one to radio, and then maybe release another one to radio. Now they do what they call a waterfall approach. Not just me, but almost everybody. You'll actually release songs while you're making the record. There's no reason to wait for the whole album to be done anymore. Right. So on on this uh, on this lucky to be alive uh, album of music, if you will, we've already released All American Heart, which uh, came out last uh, last summer. Yeah. Um, we went into fall. I had a, a Make Christmas Great Again, my, my Christmas single, uh, was promoted throughout the holidays. And then uh, we're getting ready to release here this spring a song called I Stand For You um, off that off that album of music. And we'll have the album, you know, by, by mid-summer, end of summer, we'll have the whole album complete. Okay, awesome, awesome. So you go, f- you, you kind of go from this flashlight that you that you invented to uh, ross archery um to the you know your music and then you know through your music led to american rebel Um, talk to us a little bit about uh like because you, you you're in this niche this second amendment this patriotic type niche explain how that came to be when we did uh the first album you ain't seen crazy yet. We tried to write some top 40 country. You know, we tried to make me a, a you know, a country artist. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, a young person trying to be a, a, a country artist would today. And it, it just didn't work. No one was buying it, you yeah. know. Um, they they like they liked the Andy they saw on the TV show and, you know, this, uh, you know, this, this country artist trying to be, you know, some top 40 it just it just didn't work the music some of that music wasn't very good yeah but we we included a couple uh, like two hunting songs on that record because we wanted to give something to the audience that already you know had been following me yep and um you know it, it the album did okay we had a song on there called you ain't seen crazy yet and one called outlaw women and whiskey that put me in this niche with bikers all of a okay. sudden they, you know they wanted that they want you ain't seen crazy yet like bike gangs and stuff were adopting that as a <laughs> uh, and, and outlaw women and whiskey so these you know it's kind of like, well this is kind of weird um and fun i ride you know it was fun and and so you know 
as you know, hunting's this big. Yep. You know, it's it's good size, but bow hunting is a lot smaller than hunting. Yep. I mean, bow hunting's a niche, but patriotism's huge. Yeah. You know, it's way bigger than hunting. Yep. You know, you can be a, you can be a patriot and love the shooting sports and Second Amendment. You might not even hunt. You may like to target shoot or three. You know, uh, uh, you know the three gun sports or shooting clays. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with firearms. Uh, you know, personal protection. Uh, you know, handgun shooting. There's all kinds of stuff you can do and patriotism. And we had a song. Uh, I wrote a song. It was when. I think it was, you know, Obama and, and them were really getting tight, trying to, you know, making some real moves that it taking away our Second Amendment rights. And I wrote a song called Cold Dead Hand. Um, buddy, you can, uh, buddy, if you try to take my rights, you're in for one hell of a fight. When it comes to my Constitution, I'm a true believer. Come to my house, I'll tell you right now, I'll give you my gun when you try and throw my cold dead hand. Start with my middle finger. <laughs> And, uh, and, it, and it went, I, I haven't played in like several months, so I had to sit there and think of those words. Yeah. But um, it got real catchy. Cold Dead Hand got real catchy as a Second Amendment anthem. And so we learned off that, we learned off that record, okay, we, we kind of know where our lane is now. Yeah. I'm going to stay true to my hunting rights with this, this patriotic anthem that we did with this song and the amount of people that were adopting the song and unofficially the NRA loved it. You know, they weren't going to quite embrace it because of the middle finger thing, um, but they loved it. They loved it. And uh, it went, you know, it went viral. Danny put me on counting cars. It went viral. So all of a sudden we just, by the time we did time to fight, we kind of knew where our lane was. Gotcha. Gotcha. I want to, I want to ask, a, you know, we're, we're, we're winding down the show here and in, the way you've described everything is very humbly, right? So you you really haven't been arrogant or you haven't uh, said, hey, I'm really good at this and that's why I've found success. But you, you've played this, this whole storyline humbly. Talk to us about like how hard, like how hard you had to work to get to where you're at today versus, you know, like failure along the way and then overcoming that to find success well first of all on the humble side um you know i'm not in charge of nothing and uh if we think we're in charge of stuff down here we're we're just crazy i mean you know we're not in charge of of anything um this this whole uh uh, you know life and as you know i am a man of faith and i just I believe if you get up and work hard and, and, you know, try to live your life the best you can. And, and, uh, you know, I've had a lot of, a lot of blessings and a lot of breaks and I, I just, uh, I can't take credit for it. I guess I, I, um, I don't, I don't doubt for a second that, that, um, the way my life has, has turned out is I, I guarantee you that I'm here for something more than to play another song or go on another hunt. So, um, if I can, if I can put things together and, and, and help people and, and do some, you know, do something good with the stage I've been given, preach a good message, um, hopefully write some good songs, you know, for our, for our country, um, then I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. So, um, as far as things being difficult and hard, um, and I haven't, I haven't, I've, I've loved every minute of it. I've enjoyed every minute of the process and, 
every struggle and every bump and, and every trade show and every late night and every travel. I mean, I just, I just, I can't look back and think of, I've, I've had tough days, but I haven't had a bad day. Yeah. I just, I just, I, if, it, if I had a bad day, I learned so much from it, from a bad experience that uh, I wouldn't change the bad day. You know, I've been drugged through the mud. I've been drugged through the mud online and social media. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've had it handed to me many a times. But um, I just wake up the same person, be the same way, wear the same hat. And, and uh, I, I wouldn't change it for nothing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, we we talked about American Rebel, uh, your company, and you have a couple new songs coming out. Uh, we, we had All American Heart came out. That's the latest single. It's been out for uh, a few months now. And then have a song called I Stand For You um, coming out in hopefully June. We wanted to have some circulation and some airplay by Flag Day yep. and running into the 4th of July. So we're looking forward to getting that out. Um, and we're, we're kind of putting the finishing touches on that as far as mixing and mastering and getting it ready for release uh, while we're working on the rest of the record, uh, uh, which, again, will be called uh, Lucky to be Alive. Gotcha. And, and you have, uh, I think you said before we started recording, a book coming out next year or the year after? I'm working on a book. Um, don't know what it's going to be called, but it's kind of like, you know, American Rebel, the making of America's patriotic brand. Yep. Basically going into detail of, of the story and, and working hard. I don't want to say it's a self-improvement book because it's not a, you know, it's not necessarily a, a, a Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, you know, type book. Yep. But it is a great American story uh, that hopefully will be motivating and uh, um, getting into, you know, how we got here and, and uh the things that we've had to do and, and been blessed to do to, to be successful. It's when I do a lot of interviews, TV interviews, radio, a lot of times, it's not Andy, this is a hunting outdoor podcast that you do. And we've spent a lot of time on hunting, but a lot, most of the time, it's just somebody chasing the American dream. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a chasing the American dream story. And, uh, the book, it could be anywhere from, you know, a year, year and a half. I'm just starting in writing the book. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'll leave, I'll leave you with this. The one thing that I, that I do like to, to, to say is I used to say just kids, but now I think even parents ought to do this, but everybody ought to have a globe by their bed that spins a globe of the world, you know, by your bed that spins yep. and you wake up every morning and spin that thing and shut your eyes and take your finger and and push it down on that globe and stop the globe. And if your finger lands on the United States of America, you're one lucky, you're, you are one lucky individual because there's so many other places that you could land on where you can't chase the American dream, where you can't do this podcast, where me and you can't have these conversations, where I'm not standing out here getting ready to grill out tonight and go do the things I get to, you know, get to do. And, and I get to write songs that say, start with my middle finger if I want to. And no one, you know, I have freedom of speech, which means I have freedom of speech when I write a song. Um, the things we do, you just can't do. Right. You know, hardly anywhere other than the United States. And you certainly can't do it as well and as uh, uh, ambitiously and as and with the results that we get, you know, everybody, 
and I agree, there's some things that aren't perfect in this country, but it's still the best country by far on this rock. Amen. Amen. Well, I tell you what, that's a good ending point. Uh, I, I definitely want to get you on again at some point and get more into the, the actual hunting adventures that you've been on throughout the years. But Andy, man, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, BS with us for a little bit. Man, I had a blast and you have me back on. We can spend a whole show me telling you about this guy who flew me down and I, I bow hunted in like way down in Mexico, a feral, feral bullfighting bulls with a bow. What? Crazy, crazy, <laughs> crazy story. I can't wait to share it with you. We'll, we'll, we'll do it again soon. All right. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Andy. Thank you for taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, chat. I do apologize for a little bit of the wind blowing in the background, but hey, when you're outside, that's what you get. And a uh, huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, HuntStand, Vortex. Thank you. Go out support and support the brands that support this podcast. Secondly, if uh, you feel like giving back, go check out two percent for conservation at fishandwildlife.org and read up on how you can get two uh, percent for conservation certified and i think that's it man life is uh full of choices try to make the best one at the time and uh good vibes in good vibes out wear your safety harness and we'll talk to you next time